welcome to this American Journal of Gastroenterology podcast. I'm Brian Lacey, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic Jacksonville and Co-Editor-in-Chief of the American Journal of Gastroenterology, along with Brennan Spiegel, my Co-Editor-in-Chief from Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. I'm delighted to be speaking today with Dr. Anita Afsali in the Division of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. Today, we'll discuss her recent article, Inflammatory Bowel Disease, A Practical Path to Transitioning from Pediatric to Adult Care, which was published online in the American Journal of Gastroenterology earlier this year. Dr. Abbasali, inflammatory bowel disease is such an important issue for our listeners. Let's begin our discussion today by kind of setting the stage. How common is IBD in adults, and how common is IBD in our adolescent patients? And then as you follow up on that, How many adolescents transition from pediatric care to adult care each year? Well, first of all, thank you, Dr. Lacey, for the invitation to participate in your podcast today. I'm uh, certainly happy to be here and to discuss our recent publication with you. In regards to your question as far as how common is inflammatory bowel disease in adults, I'd say it affects nearly 1.5 million Americans. And of this, approximately 25% of patients with inflammatory bowel disease are diagnosed before the age of 18. So when we talk about how common or how often do we see IBD in adolescents, we have seen a rise in the incidence of pediatric or adolescent IBD over the past decade. In fact, we've projected that the prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease in pediatric IBD will be about 10,000 new cases every year. When we talk about the transition of adolescents from the pediatric care to the adult care, it's really hard to say and give an absolute number in regards to how many transition each year. But as mentioned, about 25 to 30% of IBD patients are diagnosed with IBD before the age of 18. And thus, I'd say it's safe to say that a number of these patients will ultimately require a transfer of care to an adult provider. However, part of this challenge is that we have IBD patients that continue to remain under the care of their pediatric gastroenterologist or their provider beyond the age of 25 or even 30. I'm sure we've all seen uh, some patients who have transferred over to our clinic in the adult care setting, for example, after they've been with their pediatric provider between these years or age range. And then, of course, other patients, either due to insurance changes or relocation from home to college, for example, may transfer for their care to an adult provider much sooner. Now, Brian, I hope you noticed that I intentionally used the word transfer of care as opposed to transition of care when attempting to answer your question. It's really even more difficult to determine what percentage of patients actually transition their care from pediatric to adult care each year. So if I could define the two for us, I'd like to define transition of care as a actual purposeful planned movement of young adults with chronic disease, and in this case inflammatory bowel disease, from a child-centered to an adult-oriented healthcare system. And this is very distinct from a transfer of care, which is a planned event in which a patient, or the young adult in this case, has a change in a new provider at a distinct point in time. 
Hey, this is great. So one of these numbers put this important problem in perspective, and I like the way you clarified that definition, so thank you. So then thinking about this problem a little bit more, why is transition or transfer of care really such a critical topic for our listeners? Isn't the assumption that this is just a straightforward process as a patient changes from a pediatrician to an adult provider? Well, actually, the transitioning of care for IBD patients as they progress from adolescence to adulthood may appear straightforward, but the process is actually complex. So these patients are usually diagnosed at a much younger age, and by that I mean before the age of 17 or so. And what we know with our young adult patients with the diagnosis of IBD is that they tend to have a more aggressive disease. So, for example, pediatric onset Crohn's disease has been characterized to have more extensive involvement compared to adult onset Crohn's. These adolescent patients tend to have more ileocolonic, upper gastrointestinal, as well as perianal involvement, more oftenly seen and described compared to their adult counterparts, as well as the surgical needs. When we talk about the aggressive disease behavior and the different phenotypes, the pediatric Crohn's patient is more likely to require surgical intervention, again, compared to adults with Crohn's disease. And the same would go for adolescents with ulcerative colitis. These patients tend to have more pancolonic disease compared to their adult counterparts, which may have disease limited to just, uh, let's say, the left side or, or proctitis alone. Young adults also tend to require immune suppressive or biological therapy sooner than adults, again, perhaps suggesting a more aggressive disease phenotype that requires biological therapy, for example. And despite adolescents or these young adults having more medically complex disease or a more aggressive disease phenotype, they also tend to have a lower clinic attendance as well as less likely to actually adhere to the treatment or management plan compared to adults with IBD. So it's really critical for us to talk about this transition of care for the young, young adults. Basically, we need to ensure an effective continuity of care during this transition period, if you will. So again, I was able to remind us with the use of the word of transfer versus transition. And I think it's quite straightforward what we call transfer of care, as I defined. Again, that transfer of care is what we actually do and see all the time, not just for our young adult patients, but also the patients we may perhaps see who's changing their medical provider to a new clinic or to another subspecialist. So we, we see that transfer of care. And that process, we, we request the records, we receive the records and we ultimately see the patient and we resume care. But the purposeful transition of care from peds to an adult care setting requires much more coordination, preparation, and actual readiness for the transition to happen. So that's really important and that process is very important and much more complex rather than as straightforward as we think it may be. Oh, that's a great explanation. Thank you so much. And you've covered a little bit of this, but just thinking about this a bit of a different way, can you tell our listeners some of the key differences that they need to be aware of when they think about IBD care compared to adult IBD care? Well, there's definitely several differences when we think of the pediatric compared to the adult care, not just in IBD, but really if we look at it from a healthcare model's standpoint. And what I mean by that is that the pediatric healthcare model is usually family-based. It's multidisciplinary. There's a nutritionist. There's a counselor. There's a financial advisor. So it's much more multidisciplinary, and, and certainly given the patient's age as well, 
most of the primary decision-making regarding treatment and management happens not just with the patient, but more so with the parent or the caretaker or caregiver. Now, when we contrast this to the adult health care model, a model which encourages independent decision-making, patient autonomy, and really in this model, in the adult health care model, the patient is solely responsible to adhering to a management plan or communicating with their health care providers directly. And therefore, the adult model is more often specialty-focused rather than that multidisciplinary care that's often offered in the pediatric setting. So, Anita, in your article, for our listeners who haven't read it yet, you outline a series of key steps to help ensure this smooth transition from pediatric care to adult care. Can you review those 10 key steps for our listeners? Yeah, happy to. So if you refer to our article, you'll see on table one, there's those 10 key steps that we describe to basically ensure that we think of the process of the transition from pediatric to adult care. And I won't read out each of the 10 steps other than to sort of summarize the essence of it. The first key step is to really emphasize that the process of transition needs to be actually introduced at a very early on age or time frame. What we suggest is that this transition should really start at around the age of 12 or so. And during this time and throughout this time, from the age of 12 and beyond, we really need to ensure that the young adult is able to be comfortable with understanding their disease, the management of their disease, have and improve their self-advocacy, learn to become independent in regards to monitoring their symptoms, treatment decisions, management of their disease thereafter directly with their care providers. The next step is that we really want to ensure that there is a transition plan of action that needs to be very well outlined, not just with the patient, but also the rest of their support group, their caretakers, their care providers as well, and to really understand what the goals and expectations should be as we're discussing and introducing the concept of transitioning of care ultimately to an adult care provider. So these steps also include not just the involvement of a transition plan with the patient and caretakers, but also with the care providers. And this is where we emphasize the importance of a medical summary form and that this really needs to be updated and be reviewed by the pediatric providers and ultimately forwarded to the adult providers. That first visit is so important, and really active coordination and communication is essential. So we really highlight this as another step in this 10 key steps that we outlined to eventually ensure that the initial transfer from the pediatric clinic or facility to the adult facility occurs. And then lastly, we recommend that the efforts needs to be communicated effectively, and these joint efforts really needs to be an ongoing process in order to standardize the approach and ultimately ensure a consistent message is delivered to our patients. Wonderful summary, and I think a lot of our listeners will be really surprised and intrigued that you're recommending as early as age 12 to kind of start this process. That's probably not what most people think, so that's very informative. Thinking about these steps, too, and they are so nicely outlined in your article in that table, what are some of these barriers 
Well, first of all, I want to highlight that adolescence in and of itself is a time of transition, not just with puberty at early adolescence stage, for example, but also with the development of peer relationships or friendships, personal identity, life goals, value systems. There are also the psychosocial factors during adolescence that may add additional challenges. Also, the young adults may be adjusting to, let's say, moving away from home, graduating high school, moving to college, starting new jobs. There are establishing financial independence and other changes. And then on top of that, we add a chronic disease. So both children and adults with inflammatory bowel disease are more likely to have higher levels of anxiety and depression and lower quality of life than their healthy peers. So we add all of that on top of these other changes and transitions, and then we can see that certainly there can be several challenges or barriers, and recognizing that if there's not a standardized, effective transition process, this could certainly impact outcomes of care for our young adults who ultimately require an adult care provider. So first of all, when we talk about actual barriers in the transition process, the first would be for the patient or the young adult. Uh, the young adult may lack the maturity or the readiness for the transition. They may also have a reluctance to a new adult care provider. They may have new financial concerns because of that change of insurance or loss of insurance with their caretaker or parents, let's say as well as a new location, new doctors, new job, new school or college. This may ultimately result in a disinterest or even perhaps a non-compliance in their medical care. When we talk about barriers or challenges for this process, we also have to take into account the caretaker or the parent. They may be too involved early on, and they may still assume their role is to answer questions during every visit. Perhaps you and I have seen this before in our clinic where sometimes a caretaker or parent is answering the questions, sometimes even as far as reporting how many bowel movements the young adult is having. And so that over-involvement may be actually be a barrier for an effective and successful transition. And sometimes maybe the caretaker or the parent is continuing to make decisions regarding the care plan for the young adult. I would also add here that another risk for over-involvement, aside from the parent or the caretaker, or that fear of letting go, is not just for the parent or caretaker, but also perhaps the pediatric gastroenterologist or the pediatric care team of providers. Sometimes they also are resistant to this change or might have a little bit of a reluctance for the transition of their patient to an adult care provider or a gastroenterologist. I'd say another barrier or potential barrier are the adult care providers, and in this situation, there is maybe a risk for deficits and skills or the skill sets specifically with caring for pediatric patients and having a little bit of that pediatric IBD expertise may be lacking in our adult gastroenterologists and providers. And for the pediatric gastroenterologists who may not have introduced this concept early on to the patient or family may now be forced to think of the transition very suddenly. And so, again, emphasizing that this process needs to be transitioned at that young age, and yes, even as young as the age of 12. So in order to ensure that the patient doesn't feel this sense of abandonment, if you will, the pediatric gastroenterologist really needs to introduce this concept very early. Lastly, there's no standardized protocol for this process. There are different structures for a successful IBD transition program, which therefore may also become a challenge for both the young adult as well as the provider. 
And there also may be poor coordination with the providers from a lack of a good medical summary form or health information to the timing and scheduling of the patients to be transferred, and even the availability of adult clinics that have actual adult gastroenterologists who have an interest and expertise in the caring of the young adult patients with inflammatory bowel disease. So all of this, I would say, leads to some potential barriers or challenges when we speak about a effective transition process. So you've nicely outlined how complicated this process can be for some, but maybe not all patients. What do you tell patients about their role in the process? What are they responsible for? So definitely this can become complicated and overwhelming. And so I say, and I would suggest a few recommendations when we talk about for the patient. So as we summarize in our paper, the patient's role primarily includes three different components, if you will. The first is to have an appropriate knowledge of their disease, as this has a significant impact on the effectiveness of their transition. And so that brings us to the second component, which is self-efficacy. And this is defined, or how I would define this as a self-belief that a particular task can be accomplished and produce positive outcomes. In fact, I associate this very much with, let's say, resilience or grit. Um, so self-efficacy is linked with good self-management skills, disease management adherence, as well as coping behaviors. And of note, independent self-management by patients has been identified as a primary marker of transition readiness. And lastly, what I advocate for my patients to really be able to work on and for tours is the actual adherence and health literacy. And this can be better evaluated. There's different questionnaires. There's one called TRAC, and that's the Transition Readiness Assessment Questionnaire. And this is based on uh, different factors and questions to really evaluate their adherence to their disease, their treatment, and importantly, health literacy. And based off of track and some of the research that's been done with this questionnaire, it was found that only about 6% of patients who were on the verge of transfer actually met the benchmark for transition readiness, again, re-emphasizing and highlighting the importance of health literacy. There were several deficits that was noted, including several aspects of healthcare utilization, understanding their insurance, being able to schedule their appointments, getting their prescriptions refilled, as well as other self-management skills that there was a deficit noted. So our young adult patient is encouraged to improve their self-management skills early on. This includes their ability to name their medications and even the doses if they can. But let's be honest, sometimes even our adult patients are unable to name the doses of their medications. But we encourage our young adults to be able to identify some primary medication side effects or at least report them to us, be able to call in for a prescription refill if they can, maybe even arrange for their next clinic visit call in for that request on their own, and also be able to effectively communicate their symptoms and ask questions during their clinic visits. I think we all want our patients to be independent and responsible and reliable and really investing themselves in their own health care, and you've outlined some great steps. Are there additional suggestions you can provide to patients and to our providers about ways young patients can empower themselves and take an active role in their health care? 
Yes, we actually suggest and encourage our young adults to participate in education and support sessions or even regional health advocacy groups such as the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, for example. We know that assuming leadership roles and volunteering and activities or even participating in a part-time job ensures early independence, maturity, and self-efficacy, so we encourage all of that. So shifting gears a little bit, let's go to the other side. What are some of the responsibilities of the caretaker, the health care provider? What can they do to help ensure the best transition? I would say the caretakers need to continue to encourage independent behavior of their young adult or of their child. In fact, they can do this outside of clinic or not even related to the patient's chronic disease by simple tasks such as assigning household chores, getting them to be independent and to be able to be assigned a responsibility and to complete it. We encourage the young adults who participate, again, in volunteer or vocational activities to help foster this independence and the caretaker can help with this. And lastly, to allow the young adult to take charge during the clinic visit. Don't interrupt the patient. Don't report their child's bowel symptoms to us. Let them ask us questions. Let them be able to call in for the next prescription or arrange for that next clinic visit. Staying engaged during the transition process for the caretaker is important, but really highlighting and, and encouraging the caretakers to allow the young adult to take charge is very important. Other than reading your wonderful article, which I certainly learned a lot from, and listening to this podcast, are there other resources that our listeners could investigate to learn more about this topic? Well, referring to the North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition, or NASPGAN website, is a great start. The site has created, in fact, a healthcare provider transitioning checklist that can be used to evaluate readiness as early as that age of 12, as I mentioned. And this will help everyone think of this process early and prepare for it early, including not just the providers, but the patient and all caretakers. I'd also actually encourage our listeners to refer to the GOT Transition website, which is gottransition.org. This is a federally funded program that developed the transition readiness assessment and also provides excellent summary, especially on six core elements of healthcare transition that I think our listeners should review. That's great. Anita, this really has been a wonderful conversation. I certainly learned a lot. I know our listeners did. Any last thoughts for our listeners? I'd like to, again, reemphasize the importance of transition of care for our young adults, which really is a vulnerable patient population. And although the transition of care process may seem complex and often lengthy, an organized and structured process, which we were able to outline in our paper as well as today, does really help foster self-reliance and independence. It also improves the quality of life and ultimately disease outcomes for our patients. So I really hope we can incorporate this process into our clinical care and also introduce this concept early to our patients and our caretakers. And again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Thank you again, and thank you for our listeners for tuning in. 